Don't waste a second coding yet another login registration system. Use product structure to dynamically provide your site with turnkey solutions for user engagement, all through a single line of JavaScript. From registration to importing contacts to inviting friends, our products come with a built-in A-B testing engine to ensure you have the best methods to manage your users. Product structure. Focus on your core application and let us serve you the rest. Come to Chicago Airline Factory Light on October 4th and listen to airline talks from Alexander Ganaris, Susan Potter, Adam Densberg, Christopher Mickeljohn, Evan Miller, Mahesh Mahalani Subramaya, Garrett Smith, Corey Haynes, Jesse Gum, and Sean Cribs. Use the discount code MOSTLYERLANG to get a 15% discount when you register on the Erlang Factory website. Uh, here we are for uh, episode 13 of Mostly Erlang. And this one uh, fits really in with the name because it's mostly Erlang, but today it's not not entirely about Erlang. We're going to be talking about F-sharp here. And uh, so I'm Brian Hunter. I'm, uh, Zach asked me to be guest host today. And so uh, we have on the line uh, Phil, Jan, and Fred. And so Phil and Jan are both F-sharp developers, but I'll go ahead and let everyone do their own introductions. Okay, you want to start off, Phil? Cool, yeah. Um, so... Uh, I'm Phil Trelford. I'm a developer at Trayport, which is a market leader in energy trading products. And I've been programming in F-Sharp since about 2006. And I've been at F-Sharp um, for the last five or six years. Uh, sorry, Erlang fan. Uh, hi, my name is Yan Chui, and I'm a server-side developer for a company called Gamesys, and uh, I make backends for social games. Right now, we've got a number of social games available on Facebook as well as on iPad and Android devices. Uh, I think that today we've got something close to about uh, well, roughly a million DAU uh, across all our games. Uh, I've been using F-Sharp for the last, uh, I guess, three, four years, and Erlang maybe in the last uh, uh, two years. Okay. Okay. Cool. And then, and then Fred. Uh, all the the normal listeners know Fred, uh, so I, I can brag about him uh, somewhere. He might not uh, uh, brag, but uh, we'll also get his introduction. But uh, Fred is the the learn you some Erlang for great good author, and which uh, and so this would be for the F sharp listeners that are in there. This is a great way to jump in and learn the language uh, for free. And so, uh, do you have anything to add, Fred? Uh, yeah. I mean, everyone mentioned where they work, so. Um... I'm currently uh, on the routing team at Heroku, working with Erlang, uh, writing the stuff to route the HTTP requests and the logs that go pretty much everywhere. So that's my job, yep. All right, well, cool. Um, we could, uh, uh, how, how would you all like to kick this off? I mean, a lot of this will be sort of, uh, I guess, a comparative talk. Uh, we've got these F-sharp experts that also know Erlang. Uh, and this will be sort of a thing of like all these Erlang developers out there that have heard this word, uh, they'll be able to refer back to this 55 minutes or whatever and, uh, and then say, yeah, I see how that could fit or not. But uh, um, maybe to lead off, I'm curious with, with Jan and Phil. Uh, actually, Fred, have you ever used uh, F-sharp out of curiosity? I have never used it. I've quickly read a few snippets of it when comparing different languages. So I, I thought I was in the ML family and I probably had uh, Haskell or OCaml on my list to learn before F-sharp. F uh -huh. But I I'm kind of familiar with a, bit of, with, a, with a bunch of the concepts in there. And for, for Phil and Jan, I'm curious, which of the two did you le learn first? Did you all learn Erlang first or F-sharp first? 
Uh, so for me, uh, I learned uh, F sharp first, and um, I came across Erlang a couple of years uh, later. Uh, but actually, Erlang's really influenced my F sharp coding in a positive way. Uh, I've learned a lot from the uh, message, message passing uh, style there, uh, with uh, some similar concepts coming from Erlang into F sharp. Um, I actually found out about both languages around the same time, but at the time I chose to spend time with uh, uh, F-sharp primary because I'm familiar with the C-sharp and the .NET platform already. At the time, we had just started using a Couchbase, which was still called NorthScale at the time, and that was the first time I've heard of this language called Erlang, which uh, Couchbase is largely written in, and it really piqued my interest, but I didn't get around to invest a serious amount of time in learning Erlang until a couple of years later. So, so, so that was like uh, 2009 or so. Is that right? Or uh, roughly 2009. Yeah, yeah. That's, I was just guessing off of off of the clues. <laughs> it's funny no you can scale. you can do an, I can do an archaeological dig, uh, you know, through uh, uh, through my uh, folders, and I'll know uh, I'll know what year it was just by the stuff I was digging in. So, uh, <laughs> well, cool. Um, I'm curious. Uh, so, with with you, Phil, you 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 were hopping into F sharp first. And so that would have been uh, what, what, when did F sharp appear? Actually, uh, a lot of these things I'm gonna some of these things I'm gonna questions about F sharp I'm going to uh, pretend ignorance and some of them will be true ignorance and so hopefully people will not really know which is which by the end of the <laughs> by the end of the questions. But uh, when did F sharp appear? So yeah, F sharp's been around a long time. Um, they started working on it around 2002. Um, I came across F sharp in 2006. Uh, when I was working at Microsoft Research in Cambridge. Uh, so it's pretty early on with it. Uh, it started to be used um, outside of Microsoft around 2008. Uh, so 2007, 2008, uh, with some of the uh, finance companies in uh, London and, and uh, New York picking it up. And uh, the big thing for F Sharp was in 2010 when it uh, became first class citizen in Visual Studio. Okay, yeah, made it in the box. And so I didn't actually realize that it was. That, uh, so was it Don working on it in two thousand two? Don Syme, or or was that? Uh, it was entirely a Microsoft Research thing, or. Yeah, I, um, back then it was entirely uh, Microsoft Research. It, the main guys that um, I know from the early days were uh, Don Syme and James Margitson, uh, but I believe. Um, other people involved. I uh, know uh, Don's been bouncing off ideas off um, Simon Payton Jones and Andrew Kennedy uh, during development. And what uh, what led you then to if you had already had this experience with F Sharp and it was fit, what what even led you towards Erlang? Um, I'm curious, like how people end up in the going down a path. Yeah, um, I was uh, started uh, work in a new uh, company where, where I am now, Trayport, and um, we do uh, trading systems, exchange systems. And Erlang was looking quite interesting from a message routing kind of point of view, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of what our systems do is message routing. Um, and so I started to read about it there. I guess uh, uh, if it's routing calls and routing, you know, on that, yeah, that makes total sense. You, now, you both are out of London, right? Uh, uh, 
uh, yeah. Jan and Phil. And okay. Yep, I work in London as well. And and Fred, you're up in uh, Canada, right? Yep. Okay. And okay. Cool. Um, uh, you have anything, uh, Fred? Uh, anything you're you're curious about uh, as we're getting rolling here? Uh, well, no. At this point in time, I was wondering about Simon Payton Jones because I knew it was at Microsoft Research, but that was uh, already answered, so that was fine for me. Okay, cool. Uh, um, both of you guys, uh, so Jan and Phil, uh, are you're both into game development in some level or the other. I know that's what you do all day long, Jan. Uh, and Phil, you, you you spend half your day or do you spend half your year or just, just a crazy interest uh, on the game uh, side? Okay, so um, I actually started in um, software development as a games developer. Um, and I've worked, um, uh, the first half of my career was in games development. Um, I've worked on uh, titles like... Um, uh, Powermonger for Bullfrog, um, uh, Adam's Family Values and Jurassic Park for Ocean. Oh, okay. Uh, 3D pinball games, all sorts really. Um, I also got to work a little on um, Halo 3 uh, while I was at Microsoft Research. Oh. So I still, I still like to do games, but it's now in my own time. Okay, gotcha. I, I know that uh, that there. Well, I'm, I, I hear different things in F Sharp in that space around game dev, and uh, you know, but then also uh, a lot of the back end uh, for I guess Demonware uh, they're using Erlang for that, and I think some of the Facebook games are using uh, Erlang for their back end. You'll see hear some talks on on uh, the Erlang factories. Is that what's leading you down the path, Jan? Uh, like just the the back end for uh, like managing. Uh, all of the concurrent things that are going on or, or or is it really just sort of hobby at this point or are you guys using it? Uh, for me right now, it's still uh, you know, a bit of more of a hobby. I'm just trying to convince the, the, the power that be at work to that you know, we should adopt Erlang more seriously or at least take a more serious look at it. But obviously adoption is uh, always a bit of a slow process of work unless mm-hmm. you can hire expertise straight into the team. And that's the same thing that we found with F Sharp as well in terms of uh, uh, getting, you know, getting the whole team up in speed uh, with F Sharp. Uh, in terms of why, you know, why, you know, why Erlang, uh, I think it's spawned there because that's sort of you know, part, part of my, well, my day job is to build game servers ultimately. And uh, scalability and being able to deal with things, uh, high levels of concurrency is always uh, at the front of my mind. And since game servers are essentially event processing systems, which Erlang is a great fit for, and if you look at the success and scalability of NoSQL databases such as React and Couchbase, which are both written in Erlang, that was what attracted me to Erlang in the first place. And like I say, in in my space, there's more and more companies now waking up to the fact that Erlang is such a good fit for the sort of backend systems that we tend to build, handling the kind of scale and load that we have to deal with regularly. And I know quite a few companies who's, who are either considering or actively using Erlang as part of their backend stack. I think Wuga is being one of the quite uh, vo- uh, uh, vocal uh, presence in that space where they're using uh, Erlang for, I think, Diamond Dash or some of the, some of the other um, Facebook offerings, which are handling, which, which are no, doing a pretty big scale. I saw uh, Fred's probably seen this one too, uh, but I can't remember what language they moved from. Was it PHP or they moved from uh, Ruby? Uh, oh, Ruby. Okay, all right. Okay, so uh, 
uh, they might still have some Ruby uh, uh, code hanging around for, uh, magic, uh, for Magical Island. Uh, obviously, those are legacy. Well, I imagine they're probably not going to change. And they're probably just going to adopt more, uh, a more airline-centric approach for, for the their, games that can be the building. Newer, the future. newer games, yeah. yeah. That's right. Huh. And uh, there was another pretty big uh, MNORPG who's using uh, Erlang and Lua, using Lua to be the scripting, so no, to, to script the uh, the game logic and using Erlang as the server platform to host the, uh, the what game logic as well. I can't remember which game it was, but it was one of the big MNORPGs. Huh. Okay. Well, cool. Um, I, I'm um, one of the things that uh, you're talking about a little bit about business case there and trying to make the pitch. Um, it probably gets a little bit more complicated uh, as you're thinking about like how you make the pitch for F sharp and for Erlang or for F sharp or Erlang and all that. And so I'd, I'd I'd love to hear like what everyone's take is on on like sweet spots or how you uh, how you even decide is uh, are are F sharp and Erlang competitors? Are they complements? And you know that that sort of thing. I'm just curious uh, to get takes on on all this because I, I have my own opinion. I'll jump in uh, at some point in here, but I, I, I'm awfully curious to hear what y'all have to think. Um, well, I mean, for me, I think Erlang is very much a system language, and this is is uh, Swiss boys in building event processing systems, anything they have to process loads of uh, uh, events and, and be able to deal with the high, the high concurrency requirement that often come with these kind of systems. But I think f on the other hand, is a maybe more general purpose language. And at least for me, some of the sweet spots I found is uh, you know, in writing parsers or DSLs because of the, uh, the syntax of the language lends itself really well to writing internal uh, DSLs. And it's, uh, it also has a lot of nice features that allows you to write parsers and also uh, a, 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 well, written Lexus and uh, as part of the uh, F-Sharp Power Pack they can use to do you know, pretty, power, pretty powerful and complicated uh, parsers. There's also a feature in F-Sharp called the unit of measure, which allows you to decorate numeric values with uh, units such as meters or seconds, which you know, make it easy to write good uh, simulations on real-world values and metrics. And how, how about you, Phil? Yeah, um, what Jan said, but I'll, I'll add to that. <laughs> um, that was a really good... Um, Good overview. Um, I think um, the way I see Erlang, it's um, complementary. So if you've got a message orientated or event based system, um, Erlang's hard to beat there. Um, you know, it's, it's built for that almost like a domain specific language for that category of problems. And as uh, Jan said, F sharp's more of a general purpose language. I think you find yourself um, using F sharp on the server side when you've got um, more of like a complexity problem. So you, let's say you wanted to price derivatives or work out um, costing for an energy grid, that kind of thing. Um, or if you've got a lot of data that you want to, complex data you want to pass through, um, language, uh, domain-specific language side. Um, so uh, the computation and data orientated areas um, f sharp's great so we've done um, we've done sort of like the complexity side so um, uh, beyond uh, complexity um, 
F Sharp's great on server side for data orientated problems. So there's a, a new feature in F Sharp 3 called Type Providers, uh, which let you get typed access to um, any kind of data source from web service, uh, database, um, JSON, and it gives you um, IntelliSense um, types over that uh, in a way that a dynamic language like Erlang would. Um, so there's no compile steps, you get it instantly, but you get all of the type safety checks. So quite useful if you've you're got a large volume of data. And I guess the, um, the other thing is with f being a general purpose language, you can uh, use code on the server and also on the client and share code between the two. Uh, by, by the client, you mean... Uh, what, what right. So, yeah, um, I mean, uh, client side options for F Sharp are um, probably are, are not that well known. But um, so you have you, you mean like a web browser client, uh, like that? Well, you can you, you can run F Sharp um, as a thick client uh, through WPF, Windows Eight. Um, right. You can you can uh, Windows Forms, but through Mono you can hit. Um, Android, iOS, uh, Mac, Linux. So okay. you can really go cross-platform that way. Okay. And there's really good support now in from Xamarin, uh, in Xamarin Studio for F-Sharp. Um, but beyond that, yes, you, you can um, use F-Sharp for, with ASP.NET for your web pages. Uh, beyond that, though, you've got products like WebSharper and FunScript, which actually compile your F-sharp code out to JavaScript, and you can run that um, server-side, client-side, and um, you can even run that on Node. Okay, uh, so there's that same sort of model like, I guess, the Clojure and Clojure ship folks have uh, that uh, sure. you hear a lot. So are people using the uh, uh, F-sharp that way? Or to, I mean, is that something where they're compiling down to JavaScript? Is that a common, or is, or is that on the fringes, or is, are people really using it? Um, so there's a, a company dedicated to um, IntelliFactory, um, and they have a, a commercial product called WebSharper, uh, and they've had quite a lot of success with that. Okay. Uh, they, they they generally specialize in uh, again people trying to um, solve quite complex um, data systems, complex UIs. Um, so I don't think you know you necessarily use that for your shopping site, uh, but if you were Having a site related to uh, chemistry or um, again uh, potentially trading and financial systems, then that might be interesting. Hmm. And um, <laughs> so uh, we just heard from uh, from Phil about the the whole end to end sort of bit about uh, you know going server side, but then all the way compiling down like on ClojureScript. Uh, you know the equivalent of ClojureScript, where you can use F Sharp to compile down to JavaScript, and, and so I, that's interesting uh, that folks are doing that full on. And that's not really part of the Erlang story. You know we're uh, we've got our we've got our place, and we we tend to stay there. <laughs> I wonder uh, be an interesting thing thinking about in the future uh, as. Uh, uh, with with Elixir, if there will be like Elixir script, that sort of thing that ends up, uh, you know, being this sort of where you have the the top to bottom. But I guess we can we can talk about that one on the Elixir show coming up next month. But uh, uh, I've seen some people recently on Twitter talking about 
where they keep on trying to uh, to to do Erlang things in JavaScript, like they were talking about multiple function heads. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm getting tickled about this, this language that gets assaulted a lot because of its syntax uh, and people not, not digging it. But then the people that, that use it, you know, they're frustrated when they go to JavaScript and these features aren't there for them. So, <laughs> so I don't know if we'll see Erlang script anytime uh, soon for the browser, but. Uh... Uh, there is one already, I think. Oh, is there really? Okay. Yeah, I... I'll send. I'll send in a link. Uh, there is one already. I don't know how it does regarding uh, preemptive scheduling, but yeah, it exists. Wow. Okay. Wow. I I, I have completely it's, missed yeah, it. Yeah, beam.js has its own <laughs> website. All right. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, uh, did you uh, have any more questions for? Uh, did you want to pitch anything out off of that last volley, uh, Fred, to the F sharpers on the call? Uh, yeah, we're mentioning uh, using F-sharp for video games. And I know that people have used Erlang for video games, still mostly social games, about communicating between components. Uh, but functional programming has been traditionally seen as something you don't do video game-related stuff in. So well, what's all of your experience regarding that? And what do you think? And how far do you think you could push F-sharp into the video game world in general? Um, for our for one of our our biggest um, uh, game right now is uh, it's called Jaffa Joy Slot. It's actually it's a slot machine, uh, but we've operated with a freemium model, and uh, the our offering on Facebook uh, actually runs off of a game engine that's written pretty much entirely in F Sharp. And one of my experience in developing that platform. Uh, was that you know, using F# -sharp, because a lot of time you're writing you know, simple game logic, a lot of data transformation uh, based on some input, some uh, configured real settings, and some output, and then you know, change that, in, change the shape of the output to to to, you know, to a certain format so the client can understand it and do its animations and other things like that. And a lot of the logic in F# -sharp can be done. Uh, well, in F# -sharp it's done. Uh, so much more efficiently compared to an uh, equivalent uh, implementation Java. On the on the Java side, we have a team of developers uh, maintaining a platform, and uh, you know they takes maybe it takes them several weeks to develop one game. And uh, whereas for the the F# -sharp platform, I'm able to be so much more productive, and I can knock out a game in uh, at least just the engine part of the game in two to four hours, and the games perform really well. And uh, the logic is you know, pretty well understandable because we look at the code as a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of code to look at to begin with. What, what so I think that's, sorry, oh, I'll cut oh, you off there. Oh, no, I, I, I interrupted, but I'm awfully curious, though. It's like, how, how does that change? I mean, like, that's a big shift. I mean, like, weeks to, like, hours or days. Uh, what What's the explanation there? I mean, uh, between F-sharp and Java, say, I mean, what would, why is it that much more productive? Or why, what? Uh, What's it doing for you? That's not out, is it out of the box stuff, or is it just conciseness? Uh, conciseness, maybe mostly conciseness, I would think, and also a lot of the abstraction. Well, some of the abstraction layers that you can uh, that you, you, know, you can use with uh, function programming, uh, listed with F sharp. So you, in F sharp, you have uh, discriminate unions, so that uh, you, you can really easily represent and more concise represent, uh, say, a, what you normally do with a class hierarchy. So instead of you know, creating three or four files, it's representing a, a subclass of some base class you have. Instead, you just have a discriminate union with four lines of code, each representing the the, the, spe the specialization that you want with the 
parameter that, so, that goes along with that particular specialization, uh, there you save yourself you know, tens of lines of code and uh, and the code that operates against that. You can use pattern matching, you can use a number of other uh, you know, niceties that comes with a uh, language like F-sharp. And, uh, and there, you know, all of a sudden, you're saving yourself a lot of time writing uh, boilerplate and writing just in you know, the white spaces, the amount of uh, curly bra uh, brackets you can end up saving yourself writing is uh, pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, uh, on, on discriminated unions, uh, uh, that's one that might uh, a lot of the listeners might not be familiar with. Uh, do you have a way of, of, you know, of course, talking with your hands is not very good in, on a podcast, <laughs> but uh, is there, a, is there a, uh, an example or a verbal way of expressing what they are? Uh, I don't have a great verbal way of describing what they are. Maybe Phil can fill in for that, I guess. Um, yeah, well, it depends how you, um, which angle you're coming from. If you're coming from a, a Java side, then a discriminated union is, in effect, a really neat way of specifying an abstract base class with a bunch of concrete implementations um, below yeah. it. And it's one line per implementation, which is uh, really, really concise. And coming from the Erlang side, though, uh, do you know of like a... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, um, a discriminated union, each um, case um, is in effect like a, an enum, like so different named types. So um, where in Erlang you would have an atom and then maybe some other values in your tuple, right? Right, right. In F sharp, we would say a message has these different cases and we'll give the type. So we'll say um, if it was a, the message was a shape that we wanted to draw, then maybe the first case would be rectangle. So you, you would have a, an atom called rectangle. We'll actually have a type called rectangle and we'll say it's of um, width and height. And um, you declare that up front that maybe the next type is a circle of radius and so um, it looks quite similar, um, the pattern matching to Erlang, but where you're using atoms, we, we'd be using types. And so that will give you type checking. It yeah. also gives you a really neat short de declaration of um, the messages that are passing through your system. So um, you get the kind of conciseness of Erlang uh, and simple um, pattern matching. Um, that you do with Erlang, but it, just with correctness. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, so the, the, that's a, that's what I was thinking there. That like the like at the top of a like an Erlang pattern match, you might have like the variable coming in, uh, and you you might have your pattern match against circle, you know, with with a radius, uh, rectangle with uh, an a, a, you know width and a height, and you'll be able to do all the and those would shift. Up and down, you would fall into the pattern, into the into the guard that matched or the pattern that matched. The so you would get that same sort of conciseness and quickness to you know to to not go through all the crud of like a, or all the you know just the the code explosion that you would have in Java or something like that with a discriminated union in F sharp. But I guess the big difference between F sharp and Erlang there is is like the the compile time type checking, right? Uh, yeah, this is, this is something kind of similar. You see a lot when, if you've ever tried to translate Haskell or Camel or whatever other statically typed functional language papers, 
is that they will use the type names the way that Erlang people use atoms to tag tuples. Mm -hmm. And when you do that kind of translation between the applications, you can see basically the atom as really being a type that's evaluated at compile time. And so you know in advance what the tag tuple is going to be when you get into runtime and you drop it in there. And it's kind of similar in use into how you use tag tuples in general to represent the types, I think. It's fairly one-to-one in terms of matching past the, all the warnings you can get. And then you get dialyzer that can sometimes do something about it to help with that. Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's um, very similar to Atom. So you, if you look at some F-sharp code doing a pattern match, um, it's not going to look a million miles away from Erlang. Uh, earlier, you, you mentioned uh, type providers. Uh, is there uh, is there any equivalent of that that you're aware of, or is there any equivalent of that uh, over on the Erlang side, or 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 is it relevant? Or um, I, I don't think um, there's anything really equivalent. You've got macros, but that's not not anywhere near the level of sophistication of type providers. Um, so type providers are really, really powerful when you have um, large complex data sets. So uh, one of the favorite examples is a um, rather fun named database uh, um, data set uh, called Freebase. And they have a collection of pretty much everything. So it's a three database. Um, and in effect, you you can follow relationships of really long way down. And you wouldn't um, be able to generate the code for that. That would, that would just blow your memory out. Um, but type providers let you access that as if there was generated code. So you can press dot, and it will show you the um, things that you can access from that. And you can walk through that data set um, as if it was all at your fingertips. And it will lazily go and pull out those type definitions um, as you walk through. So it'll actually create types on the fly for you. You know, the, the conversation, I knew it would head in, into a direction where the word type shows up a lot. <laughs> and and it's it is interesting. And I, what how does that uh, play out? Just on one level, you're you're looking at these languages. There's uh, you know they're both functional. Uh, they're both uh, you'll hear this word. Uh, you, you'll hear some similar descriptions of when you would use them from the uh, from the crowd. You know F sharp like C sharp people would describe when you use F sharp. Uh, you might hear that same set of descriptions of when you would bring Erlang out, but. On the type side, that's that's a big differentiator there. Uh, uh, how does that play out, and what all is interesting about that, and what's not interesting? <laughs> does uh, do do you all have a take on like uh, uh, the? Is this like what type of problems would you head down with F sharp just because of that static typing, and which would you not dare do in Erlang or or, or vice versa? Uh, or is uh, well, if, if I can jump in, I, I think um, like I was trying to talk about complexity um, before. I think um, types scale to much larger systems. 
Um, so it, with types... You larger can, is in size of code base larger or...? Uh, yeah, as, not as partly code base, but um, if you've got an explosion of different data entities that you're trying to deal with, um, then with types, you're getting that compile time check. Um, you're got, getting much easier navigation through um, the data itself. So I do think you're going to get a win there. Also, from a, a domain-specific language point of view of actually creating types yourself um, that more accurately describe what you're trying to solve. Hmm. It's more more on the scale of things. Yeah, I agree with uh, Phil there. And uh, I do, also, I think that when you have a system that needs to often go through potentially breaking changes, having the compiler to catch, you know, catch a lot of the errors for you early on is it, it's a great help as well without you having to write uh, loads of unit tests or having to run things up and just to see, okay, that crashed. Uh, being able to do that compile time is a big win in terms of productivity, especially when you have a team that have uh, you know, loads of new people coming into the team or people who are not familiar with the code base to begin with and being able to have that you know, that, that freedom or that uh, um, the ability to quickly change things, make breaking changes, uh, iterate over that, and be able to see, okay, straight away, okay, I changed this, uh, this idea, new property, and these are the places that broke because of that. Then you can then figure out what to, you know, what to do to fix it. I, I'm curious on that. It's, it's, you know, so there's, uh, it's a funny conversation that, uh, you know, it happens a lot. Uh, it happened a lot at Lambda Jam, which was pretty neat uh, to hear this, uh, but the back and forth on, on, on type languages. Um, it's a funny way that, you know, the, Erlang ends up where it was at. Like uh, you'll hear the the inventors talking. It's like, oh, yeah, we really just we didn't get around to it. We really didn't know how to write a type system. <laughs> you know, so they're sort of joking around on this side, but as a result of it, they ended up having all these qualities that were uh, uh, very easy for them to pull off. Uh, that if they had started off with a strong type system, they might not have been able to meet the goals that they had on. Uh, in, with, with Erlang, like one of those that's famously difficult uh, with the type system would be the hot code loading. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a, a kind of a funny thing about like the ease of deployment and the, and the, it, it, the, the ease of doing releases whenever you think about those two different sides. It's like on the one, you've got the type checking at compile time to give you a sense of security. And then on the other, you can actually deploy something without bringing the system down. <laughs> uh, you know, you can continue running uh, as you deploy code. Uh, it's a it's a funny, it, all, all sorts of different sides to coins uh, here. Um, Lucas, sorry, go ahead, Phil. Uh, well, yeah, I was just going to say, um, I mean, really, uh, Erlang's unsurpassed with, you know, you're looking more like at nine nines of uptime uh, where many systems would be lucky to see three or five nines. Um, so that, that dynamic hot patching um, really helps Erlang get there. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it is valuable in those situations. I guess um, not all scenarios require that level of uptime though. And so it's a kind of compromise between um, uh, correctness in one scenario over um, other qualities. Yeah. Uh, part of the, the things that add into that reliability story other than like the hot code load is, um, is the distribution is what's the distribution story? Uh, like, can you have, uh, 
are, are there things that make that easier so that you, if one part of your system goes down in F sharp, uh, or is that, is that just not a, is that not a thing or is it not a thing yet? Or is there anything in, in works on that? Shall I go again? So, um, we have, um, uh, agent based system built into F sharp and, uh, the library is, um, within the same process. So it's thread based. Um, it's quite scalable, but it will, that's basically all on the same machine. Um, there's nothing really comparable to OTP on F sharp. Uh, um, there are people doing bespoke work that allows you to do reliable systems. Um, but there's, um, not the same level of engineering that there is with OTP there. Um, it, so it is possible, but it's not really off the shelf. Okay, got, gotcha. I was just curious on, on there. Like I knew that would be something that folks would be wondering about us on the, the distribution side. Um, um, a, a pet question. This is a, like a thing I keep on thinking about, but I end up not doing anything about. But Jan is the kind of guy that does stuff. And doesn't just think about it. <laughs> so I wonder if he's been down this path at all. Uh, have I, have, is, have any of you looked at uh, the project of taking F sharp and porting it to the Erlang runtime system? Like, uh, like you've seen, uh, you know, Elixir targets the Erlang runtime. So you have this sort of mix of this Ruby slash closure looking thing uh, that, you know, qualities of those plus Erlang that targets it. And you have uh, Joxa, this Lisp. On the Erlang runtime, and uh, is is uh, there's no ML that I'm aware of that's been targeted to the Erlang runtime. Would 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 it, would it be a candidate, or are there just things that would make that impossible? There is uh, there, there is a, a .NET OTP project which allows you to uh, run .NET Core as a port, uh, well via port, and uh, I looked at brief uh, looked at the. Uh, this project called Bart, which is uh, I think created by the the guys, uh, the GitHub guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you have a library called Filbert, right? The... Yeah, uh, I wrote the uh, OT, uh, 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 RPC client and uh, uh, serialized uh, for the Bart uh, pro uh, RPC protocol. This is the uh, bi binary Erlang terms and uh, Bert and Bert RPC, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote that. Um, I can't remember when it was now uh, in F sharp, and it was just, you know, quite a quite a simple thing to do. I think it took me a little over a weekend to write the 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 the, the parser for the BERT terms. And so in that case, you're you're talking about interop, which is uh, that's a that's a question I haven't even thought to ask, uh, and and that that really helps between the the, the interop story between if you are using F sharp and Erlang together, but the idea the the whole idea of saying we have this language that instead of running on the CLR, uh, is going to run on the Erlang runtime system instead. That's uh you know uh, that's a kind of a crazy project. Maybe it's a foolish project, but uh, it's also very intriguing to me. <laughs> I don't know if uh. If uh, anyone has spent any time thinking about that, uh. I mean that would be. I mean, I to me, that would be great. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. go on. Uh, the, the really one of the really other unique and interesting things about the um, Erlang system is the processes, the way that works, and um, because you've got lots of small separated processes, as far as I understand, um, that makes um, garbage collection more efficient because you're only collecting on a particular process where 
um, on your um, JVM and .NET systems, F# -sharp or Scala, you've got a single garbage collector, and no matter how hard they try, you're still getting some amount of pauses um, there. So it, it would be interesting to have like an ML-based language, um, which could have this um, system of isolating particular tasks or processes um, uh, to reduce latency. Okay, so uh, the, the biggest problem, the, the one that seems like icky uh, in there is, is comes back to the types. Uh, uh, I, I wonder even how you would go about that process. I, I don't even know what it would look like up on top, but these different languages that target the Erlang runtime, they all take their source language and then they compile down to a thing called core Erlang. Uh, and so at some point before, it, you know, it's still text-based at that point and then it gets pushed on through and becomes like, I guess, object code below that and with all the optimizations in the compiler uh, pipeline. But uh, I, I don't even know how you would handle that at this sort of uh, top up, you know, uh, while it's still text level and, and so, I don't even know what it would look like, but uh, F sharp wouldn't quite be F sharp without types, would it? <laughs> well, so, so if you imagine we're compiling F sharp to JavaScript, well, okay, yeah, um, there you go. Process. Um, so that part would actually be the easier bit, I think. Okay. Uh, so, um, in effect, you can mark functions or modules in F sharp um, with a reflected definition attribute, which then lets you access the abstract syntax tree of the F sharp code, and then you can then simply transform that into the target language. Okay, uh, I think you, you, yeah. So you're you're the one to so you're leading up the charge on this, right, Phil? Is that what I? <laughs> I, I I've got your uh, to do list uh, here, and I've got your name on that one. <laughs> Maybe we should lead off and do a hack at some point. That would be fun. Yeah, we can do it in the weekend. <laughs> um, uh, so on the, just even that thing of changing language and uh, and. Uh, so F sharp, uh, it's an open source language. Uh, is what you know. You hear that about F sharp. What does that even mean there? And ca could you make? Could you take the code? Could you take the compiler? Could you take these different things and and do something like that to target it to, uh, like to replace the CLR as the as what it's sitting on top of and just take the code and take the part that was there that you wanted and have it target the Erlang runtime? Or would you be reverse engineering and all sorts of craziness? And, so uh, if you if you go the reflected definition route, you don't need to uh, do the whole compiler. You can just pick the um, abstract syntax tree out straight away, and that that would probably be the easier approach. Fshell also got this nice feature called the quotation as well, which allows you to, to generate those uh, expression trees uh, really nicely. Hmm. Yeah, the um, the quotations is part of the same. Um, uh, family is the reflected definition um, so uh, yeah you, you've got very uh, you've got great control over how you um, spit out um, abstract syntax tree code from F sharp okay that's okay this is interesting <laughs> um, on uh, the the rest of the open source uh, story uh, uh, like if you if you're just thinking about the the question of open source outside of my crazy project that I've that I've signed you all up for uh, uh, is it open source or what parts are open source because I, I think this is going to be one of the things a lot of the people from the Erlang side 
uh, going to be coming into this and, and saying F sharp, well, isn't that Microsoft's thing? And, uh, you know, what's their relationship with it? And is it really open source? And, and could I really use it sort of thing? Um, F sharp is open source. Uh, you can go and have a look at the source code now. Uh, go to um, fsharp.org and you can find the source code from there. Um, you can compile the compiler yourself. Uh, we have um, the F-Shop compiler running on .NET and on Mono, which allows you to um, target Linux, Mac, and so forth. Now, um, Caveat is the main core of the compiler is controlled by the F-Shop team in Microsoft Research and Microsoft in Redmond. So, by they, controlled, I mean, does controlled mean you you have the code, but you or you don't have the code? The core, but they really, um, at the moment, are making the main calls on what's in on the core language. Okay. Um, and we're really so uh, fsharp.org is the um, newly found fsharp foundation, which has been going for about nine months now. Um, which is an open source um, group for um, F-sharp, many things F-sharp. And uh, perhaps at some point uh, we'll have uh, more ability to commit back. You can um, you know, work with the team um, to suggest features and you can work on um, things like integration outside of the, the main core. Um, and obviously, you can create your own branches off F Sharp. Okay, so so Fred, does that sound is that similar? You think to Ericsson's role then with Erling, or do you see any differences there? Uh, uh, it it seems similar to me, but I don't know if I'm missing something. I mean, it seems kind of similar, but I mean, instead of uh, I'd say make a judgment about it, uh, probably a lot of listeners we know uh, will know how. The OTP team operates. Yep. Uh, but basically, yeah, the OTP team is uh, sitting in Sweden and doing all the implementation details that they need first and foremost. So the entire process is open source. The code is free with a kind of weird license. It's a modified Mozilla, if I remember. That was there for Swedish law. And um, while anybody can basically work on the language, there's still some kind of filtering being made there. And if what you want to do will break any of Ericsson's commercial projects, they will deny it uh, as a change and will not necessarily have the right or the desire to tell you why it was denied <laughs> at that point. And when they do put a lot of energy in the language, it will be uh, most of the time because someone at Ericsson needs that change to be done. So there was a lot of work done on different testing tools and whatnot, and you can know from between some branches that Ericsson was using it a lot for testing, and that's where the money for developer time on the OTP team was going. So I don't know if it's exactly the way F-Sharp is doing it, but yeah, there's definitely uh, the benevolent dictator is deciding about things that will help them. Now that doesn't mean that in general you can't just contact someone there, tell them about your problem, and they'll fix it because they can see themselves having it at some point. But there's a priority put 
forth for their own corporate interests when they manage the language like that. If you're lucky, the interest will align with the interests <laughs> of most people. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah. I guess uh, that th that's that uh, industrial side. You, you hear that actually applied to, I've heard that applied to both uh, F sharp and Erlang where they're called industrial languages. And so I guess that would be part of it is you have. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's part of it. And if you're lucky, like I said, the priorities will, will align. So if Ericsson or Microsoft tend to have high quality code that is backwards compatible, then you'll see that in the policy about how do they change a the language. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be backwards compatible and high reliability and whatnot. It really depends about who's maintaining it and the kind of, uh, well, the kind of policies they have regarding their own code. So, so, so in that case, you've got Ericsson that is, you know, really vested in, in this, this, this language and has this long term. What is, what is the relationship with Microsoft? I think every once in a while people are like, it's the uh, F sharp uh, Microsoft, it's the wave of the future. And then uh, a month later you'll hear like, oh no, I don't know if F sharp will be around. But uh, you, you'll hear this sort of back and forth, but it does seem more substantial now, like in the community, like at least, I, I don't know if like the, 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 the chatter from Microsoft necessarily is... Um, has changed, but it seems like the community itself has become more vocal. Um, how, how does that all play out as far as like, uh, like this in on this industrial side, one part of being industrial is that you know, you have this stable thing that is going to be there forever. And if you like it as it is, then you're in good, you're in good shape. But if you don't like it as it is, you're in trouble because it's never changing and it'll always be there and it'll always be exactly as it is, you know, that, that kind of side, uh, you know, that stability side, but is uh, what is the stability story uh, for F sharp, uh, and and who's driving uh, the sort of the direction or the future or the how it gets adopted? Um, so um, Microsoft are um, pretty committed to F sharp. Um, they're committed to the languages that they have in Visual Studio. That's a um, pretty strong commitment. Putting it there, and they yeah. take a very term view with languages there. Um, they have, I think it's nearly around 15 uh, MVPs, um, which are Microsoft F-Sharp MVPs. So there's commitment there. There's a team over in Redmond uh, working all the time on F-Sharp. And actually, uh, the only language to have changes in the recent uh, release of Visual Studio the 2013 preview was F sharp, so actually there's there's still a lot going on there. Um, so the um, C sharp and VB have been static because they've been working on their compiler, uh, which still isn't uh, released yet. So um, there's a lot going on from the Microsoft side. But I think you're right. Um, perhaps the, the the really interesting thing with the language is what's happening in the community, and um, the F sharp community is. Uh, has a lot going on. Um, we mentioned the F Sharp Foundation before, so um, that's um, making efforts to um, show uh, for F Sharp's open source side outside of Microsoft. So you really have a great story uh, for F Sharp beyond the .NET platform with Mono. So you've got great tooling inside Xamarin Studio. 
for F sharp and you you know you can write code cross platform say again for Linux or Mac um, and you can target Android and um, iOS and hit and write code for your iPad and so forth so it's a, it's a really diverse story there I know community-wise, uh, Lambda Jam uh, this year in Chicago, uh, I saw something really interesting there, and that was, uh, uh, so you've got this polyglot functional programming conference, uh, and there was a huge F-sharp presence. I, re- I didn't really expect to see that many folks there from F-sharp, but it, 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 there's actually no... Microsoft presence. I don't. Uh, there was <laughs> Microsoft as a company wasn't there represented. I think the sponsors there were like these little bitty sponsors for the most part. But as far as the 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 people there, like the F sharp people showed up, and it was an odd thing I witnessed then. And part of why uh, you know we, we thought this would be a good episode was it was like this first time I'd seen like the F sharp community sort of be brought in. I mean, it was, it wasn't looked at as being the sort of oddball, uh, thing there. It was, it was seen to be like a peer language, like, uh, like none of the closure people were making fun of F sharp and none of the early, you know, it was like, it was a peer and it was like brought in. If anyone was getting any sort of ribbing, it was the Haskell people because they kind of like to be ribbed. <laughs> you know, they kind of like to rib people and, you know, but F sharp was right there in the middle and that was new for me. I hadn't seen that before. And, and it was all, that was definitely a community driven thing. And I, I don't even know if Microsoft was so aware that it was even happening. Uh, but, uh, that was odd, uh, and, and kind of nice. I, but, I think uh, there's been real, uh, large growth in, uh, the number of, uh, vocal people speakers, uh, in the U S uh, talking about F sharp. I think, um, it's it's um, catching up, or if not, um, surpassing what we've had in Europe for quite a while. So yeah, it's it's good to see. I think um, from being a, a number of the cross-functional um, uh, conferences I was at Strange Loop uh, last year, you don't see um, a lot of Microsoft there, uh, people there. Um, or, you know, no, there was no C sharp at. Um, uh, strangely, um, uh, and that's one of their, their key technologies. There was um, myself and uh, Donna, who was the program lead at the time for F Sharp, talking about type providers. Um, so I, I don't, um, I'm not sure if there's that much understanding of um, the functional side. Um, Inside mm. Microsoft, in, in terms yeah. of the evangelists, anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I, that reminded me. I mentioned earlier that I, you know, I had my take on on like uh, complement and competitor, and I could tell our story at least in my company and, and for me. Uh, uh, so we 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 do a lot of .NET development, and then we uh, and Erlang development. It's this sort of odd. Uh, space where we we straddle that, and you know we were traditionally a C sharp company uh, on the for the .NET stuff, but we're really starting to drop that. And I'm I'm uh, trying to get my F sharp chops, uh, and uh, it's a language I've been playing around with since 2009, but I haven't taken it too seriously actually until uh, you know I was met up with you 
Phil this past past winter, and uh, and and it, something kind of clicked after the conversation. Then is like, okay, I've had this sort of role of where I was saying like, okay, I'll use C sharp for this, and and uh, and I'll use Erlang because it's best for this. And I realized that really what I need to do is just drop C sharp and move to F sharp, because uh, it seems like a, there's a little bit less. Well, there's less dissonance there, and so all the all the reasons that you'd move to a functional language, you or most of them, you get with F sharp. Not entirely because you don't have uh, you know guaranteed immutability, but uh, and and some things there. But but it's definitely an easier hop going back and forth between F sharp and Erlang, mentally, than the hop between C sharp and all of its mutation and its you know just its sort of other view of the world and. Um, and so I, I'm looking at C sharp and F sharp as great competitors, and I'm 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 moving towards F sharp there personally, and I'm looking at uh, like F sharp and Erlang as complements uh, more so, so around the line of like if I'm in the .NET stack for some reason, like if I need to be tying in with that ecosystem, uh, you know that's going to be my tool there, and if I'm doing most other things uh, that that require the scalability, uh, the distribution. And, and the reliability story, I'm going to be off in Erlang land, but uh, uh, I haven't been so much into the spot where I was led to F-sharp because of numbers and the things that lead a lot of people to F-sharp. I'm kind of coming there just because uh, as an alternative to C-sharp. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sure, I feel really comfortable um, switching between Erlang and F-sharp myself. Um, syntax isn't a million miles away and the um, pattern matching style and all those kind of good things. It, it, it's um, a lot less uh, cognitive dissonance between the two. Is there anything I've missed uh, that I haven't thrown out there? Or did you have any more questions, Fred? Uh, or do you all have any questions for, for, for me or for Fred? Uh, I, I did actually. I'm um, sorry, Jan. Do, do you have anything? I've, I've got a, a small thing to talk about. Uh, go ahead, man. Um, so I just wanted to go back to the um, game side of things because I, you know, um, both Jan and I are really excited about <laughs> okay. games. And um, so actually, there's um, a game featuring F Sharp that runs on the Xbox, which is in the Xbox mar Marketplace, which is called Path of Go, and it's um, the Chinese Go game, Chinese uh, Go board game. Okay. Um, so you can go and buy that now. So you actually have um, F sharp code running on consoles already. Oh, and uh, it's driving the graphic side uh, and the, all that then, right? There, it's for the AI. Oh, okay. So it's really good fit there, but it does compile onto onto the console there. Um, so it's it's on the client side. Now, um, we've mentioned Luar before, and actually, if you look at the syntax of F sharp and Luar. Um, they look very similar, and um, you know you have this light syntax. You've got the ability to do coroutines, and actually writing game logic is very natural um, for me as a game developer in F Sharp. Um, and something um, kind of fun. Both Jan and I will be at a, a games programming contest, a game jam, this Saturday, um, and I, I know my team's uh, going to be doing their game in uh, F-sharp, and we're uh, planning to, in the 11-hour slot, write games to target all platforms. So we'll be hitting iPad, um, the Android, um, and, and other mobile platforms 
uh, on the day. So um, it's a pretty awesome, rapid uh, game development environment. And if you're interested in seeing some game code, uh, head out on my blog and uh, you'll see so all sorts of weird 80s oddities uh, like Space Invaders and Pac-Man uh, running in the browser. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump. Yeah, you doing F sharp, sorry. Oh, you, did you have anything, Jan? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, playing Romans. <laughs> yeah, no, I just wondered, Jan, are you doing um, F sharp for the game contest on Saturday? Uh, I haven't quite decided yet. Uh, we got uh, right. well, we got a team of a couple of people, but I'm the only F sharp guy there, so <laughs> we might end up using something else. <laughs> you could always join us. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'll be the traitor in the company. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not not to your language. <laughs> cool. Uh, no, I just wanted to throw that in there because I think um, it's probably not that well known. Um, the um, the level of um, games that have happened on on F sharp. Yeah, well, that's interesting, and that that definitely is one of these sort of ties where you can see uh, the the two languages being able to, you know, that might be the domain where it makes sense to to have these working together. If you know, in that case, uh, but uh, um, uh, I guess one of the things I really get tickled about this is having this this podcast today and having this sort of leap across is uh, is sort of the bridge building there. Uh, we can kind of learn from other communities and and find places where we can. Uh, evangelize Erlang to the F sharp crowd, and then uh, and then F sharp to the Erlang crowd, and and get the get the best tool for the job sort of thing, and at least have you know understanding across uh, across the the bridge there. But uh, and you guys are good ones to have on here because uh, especially off that game game side, I think that is the natural sort of spot, uh, the the domain uh, for the for the collaboration. Uh, one of the things we, we that uh, that Zach does on each of the shows is he uh, he has a thing of like a pick of the week, and I'm curious uh, over the past week uh, what you all have been reading, what you think is interesting, and uh, um, what what you'd like to throw a link out to us uh, about, or, or you know what we should all be reading. You want to start off, uh, uh, Fred? Uh, yeah, sure. So what I have uh, is a bit of an older entry. It's back from June. It's called Using Metadata to Find Paul Revere. And it's uh, in the wake of everything related to the NSA spying on people and whatnot. Uh, this one is about how you would use a very, very simple metrics to find out about old people in the old times and what they did that could be called terrorist activity, but it's put in the context of American history and a hero instead. So it's a very, very nice text about that that we have right there. Oh, very cool. And we'll get the link for that up on the show. Uh, and, uh, and and Jan? I've actually been uh, reading this, uh, this uh, recently new book, uh, Pro.net Performance, uh, which I've, well, at least for the .NET guys, I think it's quite useful because uh, it goes into a lot of de lower, uh, details about uh, .NET internals, which is uh, not something that you you, know, you get to read about every day. Okay, cool. cool. Uh, who, you can, who is that by? Um, so is that so, uh, Joe Duffy? or is there a... uh, It's a um, couple of guys uh, I haven't heard about before. <laughs> oh, okay, heard about before. all right. Uh, but it's available on, the, on Kindle as well. 
Okay, and so you'll have a link for us. Okay, great. We'll, we'll have that up on the site. And uh, how about you, Phil? Um, I want to be a little bit cheesy and do a quick plug. Okay. Um, if anybody's interested in learning more about F-sharp um, from um, uh, hearing about this, uh, there's a Progressive F-sharp Tutorials, um, which is a two-day event in New York, a very reasonable price in mid-September. And uh, you've got keynotes from Don Syme, the author of the language. Um, there's Miguel, um, who uh, heads up uh, Xamarin, um, which we mentioned a number of times, um, along with a bunch of other interesting talks, including um, machine learning, um, actually delving into the compiler itself. Hmm. Um, so if anybody's uh, interested in, in learning more, uh, these are deep dives, so four-hour um, studies, um, hands-on programming. Um, you'd probably come out having a good grasp of the language at the end of it. Okay, and that's uh, that's in New York in September. Is that the September eighteenth, or is that? Uh... Uh, I'm okay. I think it's sixteenth and seventeenth. Oh, okay. Just, um, oh, hopefully, I didn't. Don't Got listen it. to what I just said then. Uh, follow the link. <laughs> There'll be a link on the website. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, very good. And uh, I guess mine, uh, probably everyone in the world has already seen this by the Vimeo stats. Uh, but uh, there's a talk uh, from a couple weeks back by Brett Victor, uh, The Future of Programming, and absolutely brilliant. It's uh, uh, like, I'll start off just by, I'll give you the sort of the lead in of what it is. But uh, it, he, he acts like he's a computer scientist standing in 1973 with all the great research uh, going on around. And he's saying, from, from all I see right now, here's my predictions. And, uh, and you know, like with, with what we know right now, we should be at this point by 2013. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and one of the funny things in that talk is one of his only predictions uh, ends up being sort of a, a, a wink or a nod towards uh, towards Erlang. Uh, it's one of the only things in the talk that I that I believe that was actually has been sort of fulfilled. <laughs> and so he's like he's talking about the actor model uh, that was uh, being talked about, and uh, you know, it's like is it maybe if uh, this this paper Tony Hoare, like maybe if you know some Swedish telecom took this idea and did something with it, and then he moves on. So it gets like a this. 10 second sort of clip in there, but, uh, it's a brilliant talk. Everybody should listen to this. It needs to be part of our common, uh, culture, you know, as developers, but it's a good one. And I'll send a link to that one. In general, Brett Victor, the guy who made the talk has very, very good texts on his website is a guy that's done a lot of work and it's at worrydream.com. If someone is interested about that, yeah. it's actually a very good site. After you're done with that one, go straight to uh, Inventing on Principle, I think, which has been one of my uh, picks in the past <laughs> on here. But yeah, it's a gold mine, a worry dream. Uh, but uh, all right. Well, if no one else has anything else, uh, I just have to say uh, a big old thank you to uh, all of you. This was uh, this was fun.